All right, thank you, Brother Dean. And turn your Bibles, if you would, this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I hope some of you were able to stand for Christ today at Chick-fil-A uh, by getting a chicken sandwich, amen? And there are certain times when it can be difficult to stand for Christ, but this is not one of them, I don't think. And I love Chick-fil-A anyways, and uh, my wife and I are planning on heading over there after the service tonight and uh, taking advantage of this opportunity to get some Chick-fil-A. But, you know, it, it's a big deal. And I, I heard some Christians even say, uh, I, I saw an article, that uh, this is all a big mistake going to Chick-fil-A because what, it's divisive. And uh, if, uh, if a homosexual person sees a huge crowd at Chick-fil-A, they're going to think that it, we're going to Chick-fil-A because we hate homosexual people. And uh, we're kind of drawing lines. And I, I just think that's a very mistaken idea. And I'm not going to Chick-fil-A tonight to say or do anything about homosexual people. I'm really not. I'm doing it because I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. And uh, I, I'm totally against the sin of homosexuality, 100%. But I'm, I'm not out to get a homosexual person any, in, by any means. I, but, but tonight I want to stand for not just for traditional marriage, not just for the biblical definition of marriage, but even more importantly, just for the right to say and what we believe in America. And uh, Dan Cathy just said something really kind of, um, it, was, it was strong, it was a strong opinion, no doubt about it, but that was a firmly held belief he has, and he's being attacked for it. And I, I think we as Christians need to be aware when that happens, and I appreciate our pastor taking a bold stand on that, and I want to do the same, and no doubt he's out somewhere eating Chick-fil-A, probably not right, right now, he's probably in church <laughs> like we are, but uh, I know some of you, some of you already went to Chick-fil-A today, and from what I understand, from t- it was Mrs. Detmer I talked to, and also I'm sure some, uh, some others of you were standing for Christ today, amen. And, uh, but also just some reports I saw, man, Chick-fil-A's across the country are packed. I mean, just absolutely jam-packed today. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, the, this, this crowd that is pushing so hard for, to redefine marriage and everything, they are very vocal. But in the end, they are, they are still very small. And uh, sometimes we're quiet as Christians, but when we get going, we are really, really large. There are a lot of us. And so I'm excited to see how that all works out today, and I'm even more excited to eat a Chick-fil-A sandwich tonight, so that'll be wonderful. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to give you a portrait of the Christian life today, a very well-known passage, very well-known verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. The Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Tonight I want to focus just on that little clause there in the middle of the verse. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. And uh, there's almost an oxymoron there. How can you be steadfast and unmovable while at the same time be abounding? Uh, steadfast and unmovable are very similar. All right, They deal with the same thing, but then all of a sudden you add abounding to it. It doesn't seem to match. And uh, what I believe uh, that has to do with there, a great example of that is simply a tree. A tree. If you think about a tree, a tree is steadfast. All right, it's not going to move. It, it, it's unmovable. You can't, you can't move a tree, but at the same time, it's always abounding with fruit. And so I want to give you a look at these three things tonight and see how they can help us in our Christian life. And uh, I want to encourage you to be steadfast, to put down deep roots. At the same time, I want you to be unmovable, standing firm, but then also abounding, bearing fruit in our Christian lives. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for these good folks. I pray that you'll help us tonight. Give me the words to say, Lord. I know that uh, any, any attempt I make tonight to uh, touch people's hearts and lives will be futile without your power. 
And I pray that you'll be with me tonight, Lord. Give me exactly what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less. Thank you for what you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. So tonight we see, number one, steadfast. Steadfast. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. Number one, steadfast. And I believe that has to do with putting down deep roots in our Christian life. Deep roots. And this past week... We were at, uh, when we were in Philadelphia, we got to go over to New Jersey a couple nights to a conference. And on Tuesday night, Paul Chapel preached a message rooted in Christ. And I believe he's been preaching this message all across the country. My dad had heard it the night before in North Carolina. And uh, it's a great message. And I'm tempted just to re-preach the whole thing. But some of you were there that night and you would remember and that would be embarrassing. So I won't do that. But I am going to touch on the verse that he mentioned. Colossians 2.7. Colossians 2.7 says this. Rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, in the faith as ye have been taught. And I want you to think tonight of a tree with deep roots. And if you can think of a, a of a banyan tree, and how many of you can picture a banyan tree in, in your mind? It's 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 a little different than a lot of other trees. And and how this tree works when it comes to its root system is it begins with a single trunk, but then as it grows, it sends out shoots that plunge down deep into the soil. And those roots, those shoots end up taking root to form secondary trunks. And eventually, one tree produces a great force in which it is impossible to tell the original trunk. If you can picture a banyan tree, there's a tree and there's trunks everywhere and roots everywhere up out of the soil. There's actually a tree in, in Maui, on the state of, Ohio, of Hawaii, that is a tree that takes up five miles with its root system. The biggest in the world. It's a huge thing. And there's roots everywhere. And in the end, you can't really tell which root belongs to the original banyan tree and which is one that was developed out of it. And you know, our relationship with Christ should be just like that. Our relationship with Christ should be just like that. The closer we draw to Christ, the deeper our roots will grow in Him, the more steadfast we will become. Eventually, we'll be unable to distinguish between our thoughts, our desires, our dreams, and the thoughts, desires, and dreams that God has for us. Because it will all be intertwined as we put deeper and deeper roots into the soil. For, uh, in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 7, a famous passage about abiding in Christ. Jesus says this, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. It shall be done unto you. You think about that. What Jesus is saying is that if you get close enough to me, I mean, if you get right up close to me to where you're so close to me that every day you're walking with me in a, in a close relationship every single day, then eventually anything you ask will be as if I had asked it myself and you'll get it. Do you understand that? That's the type of roots that we need to have in Christ. The roots that are so deeply entrenched that after a while we, we don't know where our own thoughts and desires begin and end and where Christ begin and end for us. And when we have that and we, then we have a thought and desire for something in our life, God says it'll happen for us. Whatever we want will happen. You know, that's not prosperity gospel. I'm not preaching or teaching health and wealth gospel tonight. I think these televangelists that say that, man, if you just get close to God, he'll give you anything. The point of that is absolutely true, but they say it in the wrong way. If we get close enough to God, then what we will want in our lives is what God already wants for us. And if we want that, guess what? We're going to get it. If we want what God already wants for us in our lives, we are going to get it. So let me give you three things, three ways to become more deeply rooted in Christ. The first one's pretty obvious, all right? If we're going to put down really deep roots, if we're going to become truly steadfast in Christ, it's very obvious we need to draw closer to God, okay? That's really obvious, isn't it? We need to draw closer to God in our personal lives. And I'm going to ask you tonight, how close is your relationship with God? Is it growing? Are you drawing closer to God? Or are you, you kind of stagnant? 
you know, you're just sort of stuck in place. You, you know, yeah, well, I've read the Bible through the last 13 years, now I'm going to do it again this year. Or is it actually declining? Were you closer to God a year ago or two years ago or five years ago? Where are you at tonight? You know, I, I tell our teenagers, I've told them this a few times, your relationship with God is the one thing in your life that can never, ever be taken away from you. We're so blessed to be in America today, aren't we? Uh, we have the, 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 the best country, I believe, in the history of mankind, and man, with the most freedom and the most liberty that anyone's ever had, and we're so free today. But you know, that may not last forever. There could come a day as America spiritually declines that eventually we could decline militarily and there could come a day where our country is overrun perhaps and we could be like so many millions and millions of people throughout history who have been conquered and enslaved by another nation. We could be cast into prison. We could be in prison camps. I mean, those things happen. That could be us. And you know, if, if the worst thing like that actually occurred to us and, and we found ourselves in a, in a prison camp and, and our, our parents were taken away from us and our children were taken away, our spouses were taken away, we lost our homes, our freedom was gone, we lost everything. You know, the one thing no one could ever take away from us is our relationship with God. It's impossible. You cannot take away someone's relationship with God. There's nothing you can do. Some of the, the sweetest stories of close relationship with God come from people who were in prison camps and concentration camps for years and decades and they use that time to actually draw closer to God and develop a deeper relationship with Him. No one can ever take away your relationship with God, but it's funny how often we throw it away. Isn't it? Hey, no one can ever take it from us, but we continually cast it aside in favor of what? Our favorite TV show, perhaps, or and another extra few minutes on Facebook, or just a bad day that we're having and we'd rather, I guess, raid the refrigerator than spend time with God. Or I think probably the biggest one I know in my life is the, the, probably the biggest thing that steals my relationship with God is just my snooze button. And uh, just, oh, a few more minutes. And that's how it goes, just like that. We throw away our relationship with God and we find ourselves going through an entire day without talking to Him. Going through a week without cracking open our Bible except for when we're in church. And all of a sudden we're not spending time with God the way we should. And how can we sink deep roots spiritually? How could we truly be steadfast the way Paul is asking the Corinthians to do here if we don't draw close to God? What have you done recently to draw closer to Him? What have you done recently? There are so many resources, so many things that you could do to draw closer to God, but you just have to do it. I just talked with a, a gentleman here recently in my office, and that's simply what it came down to. I gave him some tips uh, that I've, I've given to some of you, 20 tips to develop your relationship with God. But in the end, I said, hey, all these tips and tricks, they're wonderful. But in the end, you just have to do it. Are you drawing closer to God? How's your relationship with him recently? Number two, if not only do we need to draw close to God to develop our steadfastness to dig deeper roots in our lives but secondly we need to dig deeper in our knowledge of our faith and practice dig deeper in our knowledge of our faith and practice and it is amazing to me sometimes how many people are trying to do things for god and live for god while having very little knowledge of what we actually believe in our lives they have such a vague knowledge of our faith and I understand if you're here tonight and you've only been coming to our church for a short time, maybe you only got saved a, a little while ago, hey, we don't expect you to know everything about the Bible, but some in here who perhaps have been saved for years and decades or longer, and yet you still have very little knowledge of what we believe and why we believe it. You know, I, I was just embarrassed here recently. I was talking to a fella, 
and a good Christian man, solid guy, and uh, attends a church here locally. And he started talking to me about Calvinism. And apparently he's a Calvinist, okay? Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but he's a Calvinist. And so we started discussing this a little bit. He had some good points. And, and what I found out very quickly was that even though he was wrong, okay, sincerely wrong about Calvinism, he's a five-point Calvinist, Calvinist and, and very off on some theology. But what I found out was that he knew more about Calvinism than I did. He knew more about his belief in Calvinism than I knew about mine. And the funny thing is, I'm right, okay? I'm, I'm based on the Bible, okay? And he's got some belief that I believe is very unfortunate and tragically hurts a lot of people. But he knew a lot more about it than I didn't knew about my position. And that was embarrassing to me. I felt, how, how am I supposed to talk to this guy and potentially maybe help him a little bit and convince him a little bit when he knows a lot more than I do? He's rattling off verses left and right, and I'm thinking, okay, I, I, I know I got some here. Some, I, I couldn't think of it. It's been a while since I've thought about Calvinism and studied it, and I had let that slip a little bit, and he knew a lot more about it than I did. I was embarrassed by that. And, and listen, I, I'm, I'm on staff at a church, right? I'm an assistant pastor. I should know these things. And, and I was embarrassed. And I made a note. I've got to study up a little bit on that because I'm sure some other Calvinists will come into my life soon. And I need to know these things. And you know what? You need to know these things as well. You need to know a lot of things about it. What are you doing to further your knowledge about things? If you're out there on the street and all of a sudden you come across somebody and they say, Oh, yeah, you know what? I, there was just some, some Mormons here last week. And they were saying the same things you're saying. Well, what would you say to them? We don't say the same things as Mormons, not even close. What would you say to somebody like that? What if your friend at church says, well, your friend at, at, at school or work, I'm sorry, your friend at school or work says something to you like, well, hey, you know what, it doesn't matter what church you go to. They're all teaching and preaching the same thing. What would you say to them? Would you have the right words? Would you have the right Bible verses to point to and say, well, well hold on, it does matter. Somebody says, oh, well, aren't all faiths the same? Aren't they all leading to heaven? Would you have a Bible verse to show them? If somebody says to you, oh yeah, you know, my church is just like yours. You know, we, we talk in tongues. Would you know what to say? It takes a deep knowledge of our faith and practice to understand these things and to help people. Well, how are you doing on that? Do you know these things? Would you know what to say to them? You know, that comes through a lot of extensive Bible study, a lot of research, a lot of digging deep into God's Word and understanding it. You've got to dig deep to read it, to study it, to love God's Word so you can have an answer for people. If we're going to develop deep roots, roots in the Word of God and in our relationship with Christ, we have got to dig deep in our knowledge of our faith and practice. But then number three, simply this, develop godly relationships with others. We need to draw close to Christ, dig deeper in our knowledge of our faith and practice. Number three, develop godly relationships with others. And that's one of the great parts about this church. I'm so thankful for the friends that I have here. Excellent friends. People that I can call on. People that can hold me accountable. People that I, that I can draw close to in God's Word because we're heading in the same direction. We're trying to be good husbands. And we're trying to, to raise our children for God. And we're trying to live life the way God wants us to be. We're trying to do things the same way. We're trying to win souls, and we're trying to develop our ministries, and we're trying to do great things. Man, it's great to have friends here at CBT. Uh, are you developing friendships here? Are you working hard to draw closer to people around you through hospitality and, and being kind to others? And Is that a part of your life here at CBT? Man, we have such great opportunities to make friends. I hope you'll do that. If you're going to... Uh, develop this in your life if you're going to be steadfast and have deep roots you need godly relationships with others so first of all to be steadfast we've got to draw close to christ dig deeper in our knowledge and thirdly develop godly relationships with others but then secondly we need to be unmovable here unmovable in this passage says, be steadfast unmovable and unmovable i believe has to do with standing firm 
Once we dig deep in our Christian life, I mean, we're talking about sinking deep roots that will help us be rooted. That's kind of an internal thing. But then standing firm has to do with standing firm out in the world. Standing firm when others are trying to stop us and hurt us. And uh, if you would, just turn briefly in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Are we standing firm today? I believe that standing firm in this world has to do with even what we're doing tonight. Some of us going to Chick-fil-A and uh, just trying to get a uh, chicken sandwich, some waffle fries. And I know my wife, she always likes to get an Arnold Palmer there. And that's, man, we've got to stand firm against what the world is trying to throw at us. Man, they're trying to shut us Christians up. And they're trying to keep us from uh, having a say in this world. And we've got to stand firm against that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they, let, they lie in wait to deceive. And uh, I think of, of many Christians, tragically, that can be described by verse 14 there. Children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. And we need to stand firm against some things in our world. Stand firm and unmovable. Man, we need to put down some things in our life and say, listen, I'm not going to change this. I'm not going to move here. The world can attack me and the, Satan can come after me and my own friends, maybe my own family can come after me, but I'm going to stand firm right here on this. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to change. I will not be moved on this. Man, there's some things we can't be moved against. You think of the illustration we're using tonight of that tree. Man, those trees will stand firm for hundreds of years. Hundreds and hundreds of years. They can't be moved. They can't be hurt. doesn't matter how much it snows or rains or hails. No matter how hard the wind blows, that tree is going to stand firm. And once we get our roots planted deep, then we've just got to stand. Hey, we don't have to fight all the time. We don't have to go out and, and make a big deal about going up against people. But we just have to stand. Are you standing tonight? Truly standing. I want to give you three things to stand against in our world. Three things to stand against I want to encourage you about. And uh, number one is distractions of the world. Distractions of the world. Satan is behind every attack this world will throw at us. Satan's behind it. I hope you understand that. Satan's behind every attack this world will throw at us. He is so crafty. He is so wise. He is so smart. So much more intelligent than you and I could ever hope to be. And he's so quick to capitalize on our weaknesses. Distractions of the world. And, and I think you know, I could uh, take a poll. I could take a show of hands here. We could name so many distractions that can harm us in our lives. We could think of money. We could think of prestige and fame. We could think of power. We could think of, uh, uh, of advancement in our job. We could think of education. We could think of hobbies. We could think of lust. We could think of so many things that could harm us. So I want to I just take a minute as I, as I look at distractions and just focus on one thing. Uh, just a, a quick thing that I think is... Not even necessarily, necessarily something terrible. I want to look at media for just a moment. All right? And as I think of media, as I think of the distraction of media, I, we're talking with a Wednesday night crowd here, and, and I don't think that I need to talk about really sinful things in the media. I think we can all agree there's a lot of television shows, there's a lot of websites that we absolutely should not go to, that a Christian has no business being a part of. I think we can all agree with most of those things. We may differ on a few points. Maybe there's some things that, that we do that are a little different. But for the most part, we understand there's a lot of sin out there and we need to avoid it, okay? But I'm not talking about sinful things when I'm talking about distract, the distraction of media tonight. I, I grow concerned sometimes that we are very, very easily allowing ourselves to be distracted by media. Just distracted. 
And uh, for instance, I'm not big on Facebook. Uh, I'm, I'm not really into that too much. I, the only, most of the Facebook I do is our Youth for Christ Facebook page, trying to keep some things updated. But I, I do have a Twitter account. I enjoy that a lot. I probably follow about 100 people on Twitter or so. And of those 100 people, I would say I've got about two sports people on there. I think I follow the Cavs and maybe somebody else I can't think of right now. And, and I, I follow a couple of political figures like Sean Hannity and stuff like that. But then all of the, and a couple of friends that I have, just friends I, I happen to have that I follow. But other than that, all of the people that I follow, probably 90 to 90%, 95% of the people I follow are independent Baptist pastors, youth pastors, and full-time workers just like myself. And uh, that's what Twitter is supposed to be about, all right? You follow people that you have a really close connection with like that. And so I follow them. That's who I follow. And it is a great blessing to me. On a, on a daily basis, I get updates about wonderful things. Pretty much all of them today were talking about Chick-fil-A, okay? If you look at my Twitter feed today, they're all going to Chick-fil-A today. It was a wonderful day. And, uh, and we talk about things that are helpful. And every day I get uh, links to, to articles that are helpful to me in the ministry. I, I get links to articles that are helpful to me in my family. I get helpful quotes and updates and encouragement. Man, on Sunday, it's full of encouragement about people getting saved and people getting baptized and wonderful things happening. And, and that's what it's about for me. It's encouraging to me and helpful to me in the ministry. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't think I've ever seen anything really sinful or wrong on my, on my Twitter page. I don't follow anybody who uses profanity. I'm very careful about that. I don't follow people who, who post inappropriate images. And, and I'm very careful about those things. It's a good thing. But you know what? If I'm not careful that good can become the enemy of the best. Let me give you an example, all right? This is one that I, I find myself concerned with. Uh, uh, maybe a family dinner outing, all right? And uh, if you know my family at all, you know we like to go out to eat. And uh, my wife and I have developed a vast network of coupons and cheap restaurants. And uh, the older our kids get, the more desperate this gets. And uh, it used to be it was really cheap going out. And now these stinking kids are so expensive, it's very frustrating. And uh, typically, I'll just make them a peanut butter jelly sandwich and then tell their waiter that they already ate and they're good to go. But we, so we like to go out when we can, all right? And it, it's, a, it's a wonderful time for us as a family to fellowship together, to talk together. And, you know, they have their little kids' pages. And I'll play, you know, Daddy, can you play tic-tac-toe with me? And Daddy, can you play this silly game on here? And Daddy, can, you know, and we like to do those things. And we talk and we laugh and we joke and... Um, sometimes we get out of hand and throw things at each other and stuff like that. And it's wonderful. We love going out together as a family. But what I notice is how easily that family dinner can be distracted by media. And have you noticed that pretty much every restaurant in the world has televisions in it now? I remember talking with Pastor O'Donnell. He's so frustrated about that. It used to be you could go out to eat and enjoy time together. Now there's televisions everywhere. And, and, and if you're like me, I am very easily distracted by television. I, if there's a television on, my eyes are just like, there it is. And, and, you know, I'm not a big TV guy, but the one thing I really love on television is sports. And if you go out to eat, that's all they play is sports. And so I'm sitting there talking to my family, and all of a sudden, oh, somebody just hit a home run, and the Cavs are on, and there's another game on, and oh, now it's the Olympics. And I just, it's, and my wife's like, uh, honey, hello, are you with us? I was like, oh, yes, I love all you kids. Ah, television. <laughs> and and it's, it's a difficult thing. And sometimes I have to, like, position myself on the opposite side of the table so I'm not distracted by the TV. It's important to me. I don't want to sit there at a meal with my family and not be there. Do you understand? And not only do we have television, but then what if the phone rings? And if I'm out with my family, I almost never answer my phone because of that. What if I get a text message I want to answer? Listen, I, I've seen it at restaurants where a teenager is sitting there, and now it's going to be a 10-year-old sitting there with their family, and the entire meal, they're texting on their phone. And that's outrageous to me. I, I don't, you know, that will not happen to my family. I don't know what I, I have to do. I mean, my kids aren't quite old enough yet, but that's not going to happen. I, I think of my own family when I was growing up. 
And we weren't allowed to play at the table. We weren't allowed to have books at the table. We weren't allowed to have newspapers at the table. We weren't allowed to have games at the table. Uh, for some reason, my dad wouldn't even let us sing at the table. I have no idea what that was about. But he wouldn't let us do it. And I can only imagine if I had tried to pull out a cell phone at the dinner table. That never would have happened. And yet, so how often do I see a teenager sitting there on their phone? And maybe it's not even texting. Maybe it's Facebook or Twitter. And you know what's sad to me, though, is that sometimes it's not the teenagers anymore. It's the parents. The parents are on their phone the entire meal. And they're sitting there with their family. They're sitting there with their family and their precious children and, and how, few, how small of a time you have with your family and life. And they're sitting there at the dinner table and they're on their phone more often than they're not. Their family's sitting there just eating and eventually if they have phones, they'll get out their own phones. And mom and dad are just looking at their phone the entire time. That is a shame to me. That is a shame. You're becoming distracted by media. And you say, I don't do anything bad. I'm not looking at pornography on my... I'm not having wicked, raunchy conversations. Well, what you're doing is you're letting the distraction of the good become the enemy of the best. Be very, very careful about that. Allowing yourself to become distracted by that stuff. When you're with your family, are you really there? My wife and I, when we go out to dinner, we, we put away the phones. My wife and I are both active texters, and we have people we, we minister to, and people are texting us things all the time, but not at the, not at the dinner table. That's something different. In fact, guys, I don't even really like it when my wife has her phone out when we're driving. And uh, if, if I want to talk to her, and my wife and I are really big on this communication thing, and we talk about everything all the time, all the, I mean all the time, and I mean everything, and that's a big deal to us, we like to communicate, and um, if, she, if she's got that phone, I, after, I'm like, honey, put the phone away, I, and you know, my wife, she's a good multitasker, a lot of you women are like this, and she probably can do this, she'll say, I can talk to you in text at the same time, or I can talk to you, and she, I, she probably can't, she's done it many times, but I don't care, I don't want her to, you understand, I tell, if you're talking to me, you're talking to me, you're not on your phone. And, and I said, well, I'll just wait. And when you're done, you can talk to me. I don't want the phone out. And uh, certainly, if, if I'm talking to her, she doesn't like me having the phone out. And texting, it's, it's a distraction. I don't want to live my life distracted by media. Let me encourage you. Don't allow yourself to do that. Be there with your family when you're there. Is your phone your main concern? Are you more in touch with your internet friends, your Facebook status, your fantasy team, your latest tweet, than you are with your own family? Certainly, that's the case with young people. Be there for your family. Don't be on the phone. Don't let this media distract you so much. And, 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 and I don't know how families do it, and we certainly don't. And when we have a family dinner at home, we don't have the television on. We don't allow games at our table. I, we don't do anything like that. Be there for your family. Those times are precious. Don't allow the distraction of the good to become harmful to the best. The distraction of the world. That's the first thing we need to stand firm and unmovable against. Listen, I encourage you as a father to take some stands in your family. When I was a kid, I didn't understand why my dad said those things. He had these silly rules that he would set up. But man, looking back on it now, I realize how important it was. My dad was extreme about this, man. If we were in the car, he never let the radio be on. It was always like, we got to talk about something. And no matter what, we can't have the radio on, we're going to talk. And it was just, that's how my dad was. And looking back now, I realize how precious those times are. Man, we don't, I don't have much time with my kids. It's going to be a few years. They're going to be out. They're going to be gone. They're going to have their own families. And I won't get to see them. They won't be around. And I want to cherish every moment. And it's not going to happen if I'm continually distracted by media. It's a shame how these wonderful tools that we have. Think of all the good that has come from cell phones and Facebook. And, man, I use it as a ministry tool continually. But if I'm not careful, that helpful tool can become an enemy to what is truly best in my life. I'd much rather sacrifice 
our Youth for Christ Facebook page, my Twitter page. I'd much rather sacrifice any texting I ever do than lose time with my children, than lose time in a relationship with my wife. Don't let the distraction of the good become the enemy of the best. Secondly, not only the distraction of the world, but diversions of the flesh. Diversions of the flesh. Listen to me, these things are progressive, these three that I'm giving you. Distractions of the world, diversions of the flesh. Guard your flesh tonight, Christian. Guard your flesh just recently, I received some news of some Christian brothers and sisters that have fallen astray with devastating consequences. Absolutely devastating consequences for churches and families and ministries. It's absolutely horrific. And it's all because some individuals, men and women, did not guard their flesh. Our flesh is so weak. We must be careful. We must develop and maintain high standards. Make no provision for the flesh. Listen, often we know what can harm us. We know what can harm us, and we do it anyways. We know the channel. We know the conversation. We know the friendship. We know the music that can lead us into sin, that has led us into sin in the past, and yet we go right back to it. We know that website that we should not go to, and yet we go there anyways. Be careful. Fellas, allow your wife to help you in this area. Oftentimes, they have some discernment that can help you in this. Ladies, allow your husband to to lead your family to set high standards. Man, as a, as a husband and a wife team, you need to work together to raise the standards. Not working together to lower them. The husband allows a few things. The wife says, well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to do this. If you're going to watch that, I'm going to go to this website. And if you're going to allow that in our home, then I'm going to wear this. And next thing you know, you're going down. No, go up. Raise it up higher. Husband, husbands, be firm and strong in your house. Be unmovable on these issues. And wives, support and help. And there may be some times your husbands don't see things. You need, to, you need to be helpful to him in that. Be very careful about these things, about the diversions of the flesh. Allow godly friendships to help keep you accountable. Man, I'm so glad you're in a church like this one where Pastor O'Donnell seeks to hold the standard high. Be thankful for that. When he says some things that get under your skin a little bit, when you get a little frustrated because he's stepping on your toes a little bit, be, be thankful you have a pastor who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Be thankful for it. Sometimes it's, it's difficult. Our, we don't have a pastor that every time we leave the church, we feel like on top of the world, do we? Man, some of these feel-good pastors out there, you know, every time you leave the church, you think, oh, Jesus loves me. Man, that doesn't always happen here. Sometimes we walk out thinking, man, I, I blew it again. Be thankful for that. Be thankful that we have a church where standards are held high. Be willing to be unmovable in this. Diversions of the flesh. But the number three, simply the destruction of the devil. Listen, that's what the devil wants most of all. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to devastate your future. He wants to take away your family. He wants to ruin your Christianity and your testimony. Don't let this be you. Don't let the devil take your family. Don't let the devil take away your Christianity. You've got to stand. You've got to fight each and every day. You think of that tree. Man, the wind is going against it and the snow is falling heavy and the hail is coming and it's raining. You've got to stand firm. Unmovable. No matter what the world throws at you, no matter what the devil throws at you, don't let his trips and tracks beguile you. Don't let it happen. Don't let the devil destroy your, your family. Don't let this trouble, the devil destroy your Christianity. Be unmovable. Distractions of the world, diversions of the flesh, destruction of the devil. But then number three, and lastly, he says be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. You think of that tree, why does the tree dig deep roots? Why does the tree 
stand unmovable year after year and decade after decade. Why does it do that? Does it do it just to look pretty? Does it do it just so it can be seen by others? No, there's a plan and a purpose. It does it so it can bear fruit. That's why it happens. Christian, why do you need to dig deep roots? Why do you need to stand unmovable against the world? It's so that you can bear fruit. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30, you know the verse. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I want to encourage you tonight to bear fruit. Listen, in your personal life, are you bearing fruit tonight? As Christians, we are called to be different and separate. Come out from among them saith the Lord. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what the Bible says, but unfortunately I think some Christians almost define their separation by just being kind of weird. Alright? By just being strange. By just being completely out there. I'm thankful for a church and a pastor that has some balance. Our pastor doesn't ask us to dress and act and be weird. He wants us to be different, but not strange. You know, when when God tells us to be separate, when God tells us to do those things, it's because He wants us to be better. Do you understand that? God wants us to be better. When He says be different, He doesn't mean just be different for the sake of being different. He says be different and be separate so you can be better. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's who we need to be as Christians, is that city set on a hill that cannot be hid. That's what God is asking of us. Think about that in your personal life. Are you better? Are you someone that your neighbors look at and say, man, I I want what they have. Your coworkers look at you and say, man, I just wish I had that attitude all the time. I wish I had that peace in my life. I wish I had that joy. Do people around you say, I wish I had a family like them? Do your coworkers, do your neighbors, do people around you want what you have? I think sometimes in our Christian lives, that's, that's missed. Sometimes in our Christian lives, we allow the, the cares of this world, the burdens that we possess to weigh us down to where we become no different than people around us. We have no joy. We have no peace. Our families are a mess. Nothing is being done right. And our neighbors look at us and say, man, I don't want any part of that. I don't want that. Oh, yeah, they're different, but I don't want to live my life like that. Listen, I understand sometimes things happen. Sometimes mistakes happen, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about uh, mowing your grass, okay? I, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't want, you know, you, your neighbors look over and say, why is our grass long again? And why is there, I haven't always been the best at that. I think we need to be decent, all right? We need to not have the worst-looking house on the block. But if my neighbors are going to notice something about me, I want them to notice my attitude. I want them to notice my relationship with Christ. I want them to notice the way that I'm trying to raise my children. That's what I want them to notice, If they're going to see something about me and say, man, they they just seem to have it going on over there. I don't want it necessarily to be the fact that I have the biggest house in the neighborhood or the best car in the neighborhood. I want them to look at me and say, there's a guy who has peace in his life. Why don't I have that peace? Hey, things bad could happen in my life. Man, you know, we could have financial problems and and I could lose my, my cars and I could lose my house and I could lose a lot of things. We could have sickness in our family and we could have all sorts of things. But if my, my people around me can still see the joy of the Lord on my life, well, then they're going to see something great. Listen, do you have that in your life? In your personal life, are you bearing fruit that other people say, I want that? Or when people look at your life, do they say, yeah, so they're a Christian, they go to church, but their life is the exact same as mine. They complain about the boss at, at work just like I do. 
They're late for work all the time, just like I am. They have problems, like all, just like I have all the time. They have difficulties in their life all the time, like that, and that, like I have. Their family's a mess, just like my family's a mess. Everything in their life is a wreck, just like everything in my life is a wreck. Man, I encourage you. I understand things happen in our lives. We have problems. But when people look at us, they need to see something that they want. How can we encourage people to get saved if we don't give them anything to strive for? Bear fruit in your personal life. And then secondly, your passion for souls. Your passion for souls. You knew that one was coming, didn't you? We're talking about fruit. Talking about bearing fruit. Do you have a passion for souls? Are you actively seeking to win souls? Do you have a passion for people around you? Do you? Let me ask you a question right now. Do you have a gospel track on you right now? Do you? You know, I, I work hard at that. Sometimes I don't. Uh, sometimes it's embarrassing. I'll be out at family dinner at a restaurant. Maybe it'll be on, on a day where I'm not dressed. I, I always try to keep tracks in my shirt pocket, and I won't have one. I just got on Grace the other day. I said, Grace, you've got to put some in your purse, girl, because sometimes Daddy forgets. And, and I didn't have one at a restaurant. That's, you know, my kids are like, Daddy, you got a track? It's like, uh, no, I didn't. Man, we've got to have tracks on us all the time. And I always try to keep one. Of course, I, I happen to be wearing this shirt right now. It does not have a pocket. I have no idea why it doesn't have a pocket. It's very annoying to me. And so I, got, I have to work out something when I've got that. But do you have them in your car? Do you have them with you? I mean, is it something that your family does? Do you pass out tracks wherever you go? Do you try to spread the gospel? Do you have a passion for souls? Do you have people that you're working on right now? Maybe from your soul winning route. Maybe at your workplace. Maybe in your neighborhood. People that you are actively striving to win to Christ. And the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. He that winneth souls is wise. Are you winning souls? You're planning to be here Saturday for Operation Saturation. Are you doing your best to be a part of our soul winning program here at CBT? Are you bearing fruit for Christ? Three simple things in our Christian life tonight. Steadfast, unmovable, and abounding. Those three things, they build on each other. And I, I'm going to ask you this. What's going to happen if a Christian tries to abound in their Christian life without first digging deep roots? What's going to happen? It's going to cause problems each and every time. Uh, Pastor Chapel, in his message last week, some of you remember, he talked about a tumbleweed. Out there at their college, at their campus out there, they have major problems with tumbleweeds. Come rolling in off the desert. And you know, I, didn't even, I wasn't even aware of how all this worked with tumbleweeds, but a tumbleweed is a plant just like any other. The reason a tumbleweed becomes a problem is because the roots are like an inch deep. That's it. And that tumbleweed is there, and it grows, and it grows, but as soon as it gets to a certain size, the wind comes and blows, and off goes that tumbleweed, rolling down the desert, doesn't that describe a lot of Christian lives? We're trying to do something for God. We're trying to do something. We say, we say, I want to make a difference, and I want to do something. And Man, we get in a church like this, and we see other people around us serving, and we say, bless God, that's what I want to do. I want to make a difference. I want to do something for God. But we forget to dig our roots deep. Christian, trying to abound for Christ without digging deep roots is simply what leads to burnout, backsliding, and then ultimately devastation to those around them. Listen, dig those roots deep. Dig those roots deep. Make decisions to stand no matter what, and then see yourself begin to abound for Christ. The book of Psalms, the first chapter, there's a wonderful description of a Christian. It says here, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper.
Man, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's exactly what I want to be. Man, planted deep. Planted deep right by the rivers of the water of God's word. Planted deep where I can be continually refreshed by God. Digging those roots deep. It says here, bringeth forth his fruit. Abounding with fruit. His leaf also shall not wither. He stands firm. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's exactly the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to encourage you. Become that kind of Christian. Be willing to be steadfast. Dig those roots deep. Unmovable. Standing firm. And then thirdly, always abounding, bearing fruit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity.